Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where we're about to ruin your favorite Don Bluth movie. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. What do you know about Rockadoodle that I don't? chicken was dead the whole time is that what rocco was about is there a chicken involved? if i tried to explain the the plot of Rockadoodle. nope now i gotta look it up now i have to look it up it's the story i actually have the wikipedia pulled up so i had christopher plummer is in this movie yeah um, the film tells the story of an anthropomorphic rooster named Chanticleer who lives on a farm and crows every morning to raise the sun. However, he leaves his farm to become a rock star in the city after being tricked by the Grand Duke of Owls, who ki- whose kind hates sunshine, uh, into thinking that his crow does not actually raise the sun. Without Chanticleer, rain continues to pour nonstop, causing a massive flood all over the country. The chicken was the dead and his the whole time. Over the darkness that what and to eat all of the barnyard animals. Chanticleer's involved? friends from the farm, along with Edmund, a young six-year-old human boy who is transformed into a kitten by the Duke, take off on a mission to get Chanticleer to bring back the sun and save the country before it's too late. <laughs> wow, that goes some places. Gentle as Thumbelina, but arguably a less serious subject matter than what we're going to talk about today. Because if you think about arguably. it, arguably Anastasia's terrifying. No children die in Rockadoodle. Uh, not to my knowledge. <laughs> I hope not. We are we are talking about the Romanovs today, and specifically the last of the Romanovs and uh, their untimely demise at the. Uh, beginning of the Russian Revolution. Uh, so buckle in for another stone cold bummer of an episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, didn't. Um, hold on. What was that movie called? Damn it. This was going to be a really good joke, but I lost the thread of what I was saying. Ah, uh, yes. Didn't all dogs go to heaven end with the fall of an empire? <laughs> Troll in Central Park was the one I was thinking of. Is that. And I'm. So unfamiliar with the works of Don Bluth. I know the big ones, obviously, but clearly. All Dogs Go to Heaven, Land Before Time, American Tale, Pebble and the Penguin, Anastasia. Need to dive deeper into that filmography. The Dragon's Lair video game, as seen in uh, Stranger Things. Oh, oh, that Don Bluth? Huh. Yep. I am familiar with the concept, vaguely, of the game. Yeah, it's impossible to play. Um, They have a machine at Quarter World, and I play it for like 15 minutes, and then I just go back to Mortal Kombat. <laughs> the punchy kicky games are a lot more satisfying. You can't button mash dragon's lair. Um so the Romanovs. Yeah, so we're going to start from the very beginning. The very not the very beginning. Very pretty close. The beginning of Russia. We're going to connect this back to our last episode on Russian history where we covered Catherine the Great. Because uh, um, Nicholas is actually Nicholas II, the Nicholas Romanov that will be the subject of today's episode. He's actually a direct descendant of Catherine. Uh, so you know what this means. An unnecessarily complicated royal family tree. See, I thought you were going to say we're going to connect it back to our last episode and then just stop there. And I was wondering how you were going to do it. So actually... Fun trivia about the haunted mansion. There's the bone. That's where they buried the bones of the. Ro- no. <laughs> so, uh, Don Bluth did work for Disney for a while. Uh, yes. That yeah. would make sense then. He did Pete's Dragon. <laughs> Catherine, as you'll remember, was succeeded by her son, Paul I, after her death in 1796. 
And Paul was a dick. Yeah. And he was slightly mm-hmm. bitter at his mother for usurping and probably murdering his father. Um, yeah. He was also well aware of how much a battle for succession could kind of fuck things up for everything invo- everyone involved. So he established a set of house, law- house laws for the Romanov family that they were, they were called the Pauline Laws. So previous to this, Russian emperors and empresses could pretty much pick and choose whoever the hell they wanted to succeed them. Like, that's why, um, who was it before this? Elizabeth picked Peter, Catherine's husband, and he was like some distant nephew because she had no other children. So she could just pick whoever she wanted. Yeah, I mean, that's a good system. I mean, it's not the monarchy worst. Monarchy isn't a great system, but <laughs> monarchy in general, bad. If you're but- going to do monarchy, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. So these new rules under Paul declared that royal succession would pass exclusively through the firstborn male child, much more in line with kind of what you traditionally think of royal succession being like toilet flush noise. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's so stupid. Would this come back to bite the dynasty in the ass a century later? I'm not saying it was 100% the reason, and we'll get into all the reasons, uh, but it certainly didn't help. It was at least 30% the reason. Put a pin in this. <laughs> so anyway, let's, let's walk through this family tree, because I love it again, because everybody has the same name. So Paul I uh, would later go on to be murdered in his own palace in 1801. Oh, no. uh, so his son, Alexander I, became emperor after him. And when Alexander died with no sons to succeed him, his brother Nicholas I ascended to the throne. Uh-huh. Nicholas I was followed by his son Alexander II. Of course. Because, and I cannot stress this enough, there were only five names in Russia in the 19th century. Yes. So Alexander II, he, he was a great military leader. Uh, he was fairly popular. He actually had enough public support to finally free the serfs in 1861, which is something great-grandmother Catherine had wanted to do, but never quite had the political capital to really pull they that off. They had serfdom until the 1880s? 1860s. Okay, um, 1860s. That's still bad. To be fair... America had slavery until right up about that time, too. (laughs) Just to put things into perspective. So, I mean, yes, it was bad. Also, I'm not saying we didn't fuck up as well. It all went on (laughs) too long. So, despite all this, despite his popularity, the freeing of the serfs, all that, he was assassinated by a handmade bomb in 1881. Uh, So, the throne passed to his son, Alexander III. It's not funny, but when you said handmade, I did picture like Elizabeth Moss in The Handmaid's Tale. So like <laughs> See, I had pictured like um a bomb with some embroidery on it. <laughs> uh that good traditional Russian embroidery. Or oh no, it was those dolls. And when you got to the center, it was a bomb. Yes, that's exactly what it was. I'm sure it was. After he was assassinated, the throne passed to his son, Alexander the <laughs> Third. Uh, Alex III had not been brought up to be Tsar. He only inherited the title because his oldest brother, also named Nicholas, uh, had died suddenly. So this was like a while back. It was like 17 years before he would um, get the throne. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But he, like, had he hadn't really grown up in that role where he was taught to be a leader. I'm sure he was very sorry for not preparing. Yeah. Uh, maybe not the, to the same standard his older brother was. So like, un- more, unlike his more popular and progressive father... Alexander III liked to rule with an iron fist, um, not the karate kind. Um, that would be way cooler. <laughs> he spent most of his reign reversing all the liberal policies his father had enacted. And when I say liberal, 
please note that that is in relation to the time. What is he, a Republican president? Jesus Christ. (laughs) So, Alex III, he would go and die of liver failure in 1894, and the Russian throne would once again pass to the eldest son, Nicholas II. This is our Nicholas that we will finally be talking about now. So what it sounds like is that by putting these rules in place, Philip just ensured that the crown was taken by a bunch of dudes who didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Generally speaking, but that is also, to be fair, kind of the root problem with a lot of monarchs, just in general. Fair enough. Not exclusive to Russia, I would say. So, yeah. So, like his father, uh, Nicholas II was not particularly experienced in the realm of politics, um, despite actually being the heir apparent from, like, the moment he was born. Uh, But he didn't really feel up to the task of being emperor and even confessed to a friend... I am not prepared to be czar. I never wanted to become one. I know nothing of the business of ruling. He didn't want to join the family business. It's your dream, Dad, not mine. (laughs) Uh, That's not how royal patriarchal lineages work, so it was time for Nicholas II to suck it up. (laughs) A week after his father's death, uh, Nicholas II would marry his fiancée, Alex of Hesse, and she was a German princess, and she was actually a granddaughter of Queen Victoria. Uh, which I'm sure we will do an episode on her someday because I have seen the young Victoria many times. Many I think times. I've like stoned Googled her a bunch of times because she pops up in, in shows that we're watching. <laughs> She's well, she was like queen for like a hundred years. So yeah, <laughs> she, yeah, she, she uh, tends to pop up a bit. She tends to be relevant to a lot of things. She's the one with the grandson who maybe probably wasn't Jack the Ripper. Absolutely, definitely wasn't Jack the Ripper, but yes. Uh, <laughs> I might have been Jack the Ripper, maybe, not really. <laughs> the couple would officially be crowned in 1896, and Alex would take the name Alexander Fyodorovna. That is the name good, I can pronounce. It was a solid effort. <laughs> Four days after the coronation, there was to be an official banquet held for all the people of Russia at uh, Kodinka, Kodinka Field in Moscow. That was not as hard as I made it sound like it was uh, so rumors began to swirl before the event uh just kind of among the people that there would be gifts given out at this festival so you'd get a bread roll you'd get a little bit of sausage you'd get pretzels and gingerbread and you'd get a nice commemorative cup i mean that's why i go to weddings is for the food and the favors generally yeah uh so regardless of whether or not anyone actually attending gave a shit about the czar and czarina like if you're a poor russian peasant this is a pretty nice swag bag like I I would get hyped about it. I could go for all that stuff now. (laughs) So people began to gather at the field in anticipation. And by the morning of the celebration, several hundred thousand people had gathered at Kodinka Field. Uh, So I think the lowest estimate I saw was 100,000. It could have been up to 500,000. It was quite a few folks. Uh, (sighs) So, (laughs) yeah, this isn't going to end well. Spoiler alert. No, I know that. Rumors quickly began to spread that there wouldn't be enough food for everybody, and also that the coronation cups had even contained a gold coin. So the resulting crowd crush ended ended with the deaths of over 1,200 people, many of them trapped in a ditch where they were trampled or suffocated to death. This is a very unfortunately timed episode. Correct. (laughs) So if you, like me, have, I think I watched one if you've ever looked into, like, crowd crush disasters before, I, I think I watched one documentary on, like, the hills. No, don't. Like, if that's a fear of yours, I would highly recommend against it. Because it's one of those things. It's very much like Everest, where I'm, like, so scared of it that I need to learn everything about it. I'm good. I, I can't handle small spaces being underwater or large groups of people, and I'm going to keep it that way. Correct. Yeah. So this was bad. 
I feel like that uh, is an understatement. Uh, but despite the immense tragedy, the festi- festivities continued on, interrupted. They cleaned up all the mess and the 1,200 bodies. Did you just refer to mess, like <laughs> human bodies, as a mess? Look, it's a coping mechanism. The carnage? <laughs> Humor is a coping mechanism, Emily. That's the whole point. the way you said it, it just sounded like there was some guy... Like, there's some guy in a pair of overalls with a big key ring and a push broom. I mean, that's the thing, though. This is kind of how they treated it. It was like, oh, shit, 1,200 people just died. We got to get this out of here because uh, Nicholas II and his new wife are going to come by and uh, make an appearance. We can't have any of this around. Like, God forbid. Can't let them see the bodies. No. (laughs) So they cleaned it all up. They made their little appearance. They waved from their balcony. There was no trace of the incident to be found. God. So, uh, yeah. Uh, later that evening, Nicholas and Alexandra attended a ball in their honor, an act that many toned, many Russian people, unsurprisingly, saw as tone deaf and uncaring. Did so, anyone think to tell them what happened? Here's the thing. Like, there's a lot of conflicting information about if they knew that it had happened or if they did, if it was their decision to attend the ball or if they were pressured by other family members to attend the ball. Like... Literally, I, like, saw, like, three Wikipedia articles, and everything had, like, a different explanation for it. So, who knows? Because the vibe that I've always gotten from these guys is they are too dumb to live. Like, they're just kind of shuffled around by bigger people. Generally, generally, that's kind of the impression I got, too. Like, they just weren't quite up for very... (laughs) I feel like you see this in a lot of uprisings and revolutions. Like, I get that with... um, Marie Antoinette and Louis the Sixteenth, like they're just like we're not equipped they're to children. be running a country. <laughs> literal, li- literal teenagers. I'm not actually sure how Nicholas and Alexandra how old they were at this time, but it, it wasn't very old. They probably mid young to mid twenties at the most. If they were much older than like mid twenties, they would have been dead because of the life expectancy in Russia. At the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So regardless of like who actually made that call it was not a good look uh and the whole incident was kind of seen as kind of a bad omen for the beginning of their reign no really so <laughs> on the whole nicholas was uh, never a popular leader just in general uh despite his insistence that his father's autocratic policies all remain in place he was seen as weak and indecisive especially when contrasted with his father who apparently by all accounts was incredibly imposing and had a very impressive beard um, so I picture him as Oscar Isaac in Dune, Ooh. and Nicholas can be played by Nicola- by Timothy Chalamet. Is that how you pronounce that asshole's name? <laughs> I think it's actually Timote, but okay, I well, will it's, not. It's I Timmy. shan't. He's little Timmy the blank face boy. <laughs> so contributing contributing to Timote's unpopularity, number <laughs> of political missteps. I, I'm going to picture him played by little Timmy, and then Shailene Woodley can be his queen, and I will get through this without feeling sad. There you go. Contributing to this unpopularity were a number of political missteps, um, including a very embarrassing defeat to Japan during the Russo-Japanese War in 1905. The Russians fought the Japanese? Yeah. Apparently it was a thing, like, they Russia was building the Trans-Siberian Railroad and trying to kind of extend trade east a little bit, and... Japan got kind of threatened by that, so they attacked, and then Russia had to attack them back, and Japan destroyed a bunch of their ships, and that was that. All right, well, that explains a lot of stuff that happens later. That's all you need to know about the Russo-Japanese War. So, uh, that same year, there was a large demonstration of workers in St. Petersburg, um, an effort to appeal to be- for better working conditions and the establishment of a popular assembly. 
The protest was, of course, peaceful and the workers unarmed. But as they began their march toward the Winter Palace, where the czar's official residence was, uh, troops fired on the demonstrators and killed more than a thousand people. Yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> so this became to me, this became to be known as Bloody Sunday, and it kind of set off this whole domino of worker strikes and uprisings all across Russia. Nicholas tried to ease the tension. He created the Duma, which is more or less the Russian equivalent to like Congress or Parliament. Um, and promised all these constitutional reforms. But when that didn't curb the unrest, it was more brute force. So I I know that the Duma is like co- like a Congress, like it's a bunch of old men. But the the name kind of conjures images of like the Vogons from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide wearing big fur coats and hats. <laughs> I mean, you're probably not that far off, at least <laughs> like fashion-wise. These big, these big blobular, like... Jabba the Hutt's wearing traditional Russian clothing. I'm making it fun. I'm making the murder fun. Yes. So speaking of murder, between October 1905 and April 1906, an estimated 15,000 peasants and workers were hanged or shot. Uh, The uprising was quelled, but the relationship between the people and their czar was shattered forever. Yeah. Yeah. This all checks out. So kind of what I read is basically like... The the beef a lot of Russian people had was kind of with, like, the bureaucracy and kind of, like, the lower-tier middle management of the aristocracy. Like, that was who their beef was with. The Tsar, the Tsar was supposed to be, like, the person who could speak for the people. And clearly this was an, <laughs> this was an occasion when uh, he did not do this. And so people could no longer have faith in their Tsar like that was kind of the whole thing. I think the actual issue is that they didn't have beef. They were hungry. I have nothing to say to that, except a light golf clap. (laughs) So equally as unpopular uh, as Nicholas was his wife, Alexandra, Uh, not just in the court or to the citizens of Russia, but kind of inside the extended imperial family as well. She was German, right? Yes. Well, that probably did it. German by way of, so her mother was obviously Queen Victoria's daughter, was married to some German prince, and then, yeah. (laughs) By all accounts... I hate saying this, but she was kind of an introvert and a homebody, but her shy nature was kind of interpreted like she was kind of stuck up and cold. Which I've never gotten that before. <laughs> which I feel like is probably deeply unfair. Um, but she did have kind of like a well-earned reputation for being uptight. She probably didn't want to be there. No, and I can't blame her. Uh, she was apparently a bit of a prude. In the Russian court was very scandalous, so she would disinvite members of the aristocracy from court events if she thought their behavior was like, if they were being a little too scandalous, they would get X'd off the invite list uh, to the point where there was no one left to invite. You would think that that would help stave off future rumors, but it did not. No. Uh, she also strongly believed in the divine right of kings, so she had no she had no interest in courting the love of the Russian people. Like, ah. she was the empress. She, like, her subjects were just supposed to love her because of who she was. And so, like, she wouldn't, like, wave at them from trains because that was beneath her. Like, okay. So, yeah, she is an asshole. (laughs) I hate having to, like, phrase it like that because I feel like women generally in history and in present times, like, God forbid they aren't the smiling, beautiful, like, amiable person. They get this kind of reputation. (laughs) Like, if a congresswoman doesn't care about her constituents, like, fuck her, right? Like, that's... Yeah. (laughs) She has a job. 
So most disappointingly, worse than any of all this, uh, at least in the eyes of the Russian court, uh, Alexander struggled to bear struggled to bear Nicholas a male heir, which, as we know, oh, no. is always the woman's fault. <laughs> Instead of a son, she gave birth to four daughters, Olga, Tatiana, Maria, and Anastasia, uh, who would all bear the title of Grand Duchess. Those are beautiful names. They are. They are actually very nice names. Even Olga. Uh, and they... <laughs> Even Olga. And they, I mean, it sounds like also, too, that they were very lovely girls. So Olga and Tatiana, who are the oldest, they would volunteer as nurses during the First World War. Um, Maria wasn't old enough, but she would, like, visit the hospitals regularly, too. Like, so she was getting involved with the famous Anastasia. Anastasia. Well, I will use those interchangeably. Uh, she was known to be boisterous and, boisterous and mischievous. And later, during the family's last few months in captivity, it said that she was the only one who could make her mother laugh. So they all sound, like, great. Uh, they were also really close. So specifically, Olga and Tatiana, who were known within the family collectively as the big pair, and Maria and Anastasia, who were the little pair. <laughs> so, like, each pair <laughs> of girls, they shared a room, and they would, like, often wear variations on the same dress. They would kind of twin it up a little bit. It's really cute. <laughs> And I think if you've got four girls that are that close in age, go for it. It's just, uh, if one of our listeners could do me a favor and nickname their boobs, Olga and Tatiana, <laughs> I would really appreciate it. The big pair and the little pair? Yes. <laughs> because Olga and Tatiana I mean, like we that. could do that. You've got the big pair and I've got the little pair. <laughs> it works great. Or nuts, if you have nuts, too. Like, I, maybe get them checked if if you have an Olga on your hands, but it's there for you to use. Uh, so it wouldn't be until 1904, which was a full decade into their marriage, uh, that Nicholas and Alexandra finally had their son and heir, Alexei. Who they gave a girl's name. They credited, credited the success of the birth to a self-proclaimed mystic named Philippe Nazir Ferjat. Uh, who was, as Wikipedia says, an unlicensed quack who claimed he could change the sex of a baby inside the womb through his magnetic powers. While that all might be true, that is not objectively put for Wikipedia. Like, that is supposed to be neutral ground. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, are they wrong? No, like I said, they're not wrong, but God, take a scholarly tone. So their joy would be short-lived, um, however, as shortly after Alexei's birth, he was diagnosed with hemophilia, which is a genetic condition which greatly reduces the body's ability to form blood clots after an injury. So, like, if you get cut, you'll just bleed and bleed and bleed. Like, your yeah, blood for more won't- information, see the Rasputin's dick episode. It's number two. Actually, no, don't go back and listen <laughs> to that. We didn't know what we were doing. I thought it was, like, number... Wasn't that the, your first episode? No, Incorruptible Saints was the first episode. Oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. It was dead bodies and dicks for the first two. <laughs> <laughs> Setting the tone. Uh, so hemophilia was not uncommon among royal families of Europe. Um, it was even known as a royal disease, and it was probably because... It's an inbred disease, is what it is. Yeah. Well, yeah, and many of Queen Victoria's daughters turned out to be carriers of the disease. And I don't know if you know this, but Queen Victoria had like 70 children. <laughs> so, and she married off all her daughters all around Europe. So this just kind of got, again, this is not the fault of her daughters or even Queen Victoria, but that's just kind of generally how it became so common. Colonialism's fault, I think. Yes. Isn't everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so even um, Alexandra's four daughters, the the grand duchesses they all suffered kind of some mild symptoms of hemophilia it's likely they were carriers as well but it only ever gets passed to it passes through the daughters and the mothers 
but it's only a genetic, just the way genes work, only the males suffer, if that makes any sense. It's a dick's disease. Well, nope. (laughs) So at this time in history, hemophilia was almost always fatal. Uh, and the average life expectancy for a hemophiliac was 13. Uh, not ideal if you're counting on this boy to be your one and only heir. So, yeah, that's going to cause some issues. Yeah. Uh, Alexandra, of course, took the blame for this, at least from the imperial family. Uh, but they did keep the condition, the boy's condition a secret from the Russian people. Like, of course. I'm sure it was maybe people knew if you're kind of in the inner circle, but the general populace, populace probably didn't know. So when treatments from legitimate doctors failed to cure Lexi, um, and even now, like, there's not really a cure for hemophilia. They, they have ways to treat it. So it's much more survivable now. But I assume whatever um, the opposite of blood thinners is. Yeah. Alexandra turned once again to mystics, specifically a Siberian priest named Grigory Rasputin. Yeah! <laughs> so I promised Emily that we would not spend a lot of time on Rasputin because, again, you and Ryan already did a whole episode on him. And also, like, the Rasputin stuff is the stuff I feel like people do know. Yeah, I mean, he is kind of, I mean, a big stinky man <laughs> who yeah. pretends he can do magic is really the headline. <laughs> uh, some of the interests of keeping this short, uh, Rasputin was a sleazy goblin man uh, who manipulated <laughs> Alexandra into thinking he had the power to cure her son, and as a result, gained a fair share of power in the Russian court. Uh, nobody liked him. Uh, and there are plenty of gross rumors about him and Alexandra, and even about him and the Grand Duchesses, uh, none of which was any help to the family's true. already poor reputation. Also, yes, no matter not what true. that absolute banger of a song says, it's not true. <laughs> uh, Rasputin would eventually be assassinated in December of 1916 when a group of Russian nobles conspired to poison him. And when that didn't work, they shot him and threw him into a river. Yes, they, they, they poisoned him. They beat him with a barbell. They shot him. Yeah. They rolled him up in a rug and they threw him in a river. It he was a whole died thing. From a gunshot. Yeah. <laughs> my so my favorite curse detail about this whole affair is that um, when they were in the midst of trying to poison him, they invited him to this like party so they could you know cram all this poison in his face. Uh, yeah, they yeah, were yeah. playing a recording of Yankee Doodle Dandy on the phonograph. <laughs> yeah, because that was like the wet ass pussy of eighteen hundreds. <laughs> Please, someone on the internet, do a mashup of Yankee Doodle Dandy and WAP. No, that's like a big Saturday night. You you go, you put your big cloak on, you have some tea cakes, and you get turned to Yankee Doodle Dandy. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's our uh, clip. I don't know if Headliner is going to let me put the <laughs> pussy in wet ass pussy. Certainly their algorithm is not smart enough to get Uh No, Headliner actually does automatically censor swear words. <laughs> Which is oh, a that's real a problem. Yeah, I have to go back and edit all of them. Uh, so War, War, World War I would eventually turn out to be the breaking point for the Russian royal family. Uh, Russia endured major losses throughout the conflict to the point where Nicholas himself like, had to leave St. Petersburg and take direct control of the military because they were doing so badly. Uh, this left Alexandra more or less in charge at home, which maybe wasn't great because this is kind of like peak Rasputin area. Or peak Rasputin era. Yeah, he was really at his height. Yeah, and so she was isolated from hus- from her husband. No one at court liked her, so she was ignoring all of them. <laughs> she basically depended on Rasputin for political advice. Um, so Nicholas's, Nicholas's ministers would, like, resign in protest, and Alexander would replace them by candidates who were pushed by Rasputin, which would make 
or even more. Like, it was a whole thing. Uh, she was really also was. just, yeah, just generally during this time, just kind of suspect due to the fact that she was originally from Germany, which mm-hmm. in World War One are the bad guys, at least if you're I from mean, Russia. I mean, the bad guys in um, World War Two as well. Yes. There's a, <laughs> there's a very straight line you can draw from World War One to World War Two to for that reason. We will not be doing an episode on that. No. This is not uncommon for foreign-born queens in general, but anyway. So the rumors began to spread that she was deliberately sabotaging Russia, because of course she would. Of course. why? Not that she had any real power. <laughs> so Or reason to. Yeah. Uh, so the Russian people, meanwhile, were suffering from extreme poverty, food rationing, high inflation. Like, we talk a lot about how rough the royal family had it in this episode, but please let's not forget how, like, bad... It was to just be a common person in Russia at this time. It was not great. There's a reason there was an uprising. I'd fall on the side of the peasants in this case. Uh, as nice Generally, as some of the... yeah. Yeah. Uh, so riots broke out in St. Petersburg. Um, they sent a bunch of soldiers, soldiers to quash the uprising again, as they usually did. Uh, but then those soldiers started to mutiny. It was that bad. So the Duma which is already not in great terms with Nicholas because he had this, he had a bad habit of any time they tried to like pass a law or like do anything that he didn't like, he would dissolve them. Uh, They elected their own provisional government and demanded uh, Nicholas's abdication. So his reign was officially over on March 15th, 1917. uh, And he and his family were placed under house arrest, ending nearly 300 years of Romanov rule in Russia. Oh no. Actually, it's going to get worse. Yeah. Uh, It's going to get worse for just about everybody, (laughs) but particularly uh, the Romanovs. Unfortunately for the Duma's provisional government, uh, they also proved to be deeply unpopular with the Russian people. And after failing to address, like, any of the food and job shortages and, like, the real problems people were facing, uh, they would be overthrown by Vladimir Lenin and the Bolshevik Party during the October Revolution later in the year. In October, specifically. (laughs) Weird. Uh, The Romanov family now deposed. They were kind of shuffled around. They were kept at a palace near St. Petersburg for a while. Uh, Then they were sent off to Tobolsk in Siberia for a bit. Um, And then finally, in the spring of 1918, they were brought to a home in Ekaterinburg known as Ipativ House, or more ominously, the House of Special Purpose. Yeah, that's not ominous, or... No. Uh, It was here the family would spend the remaining 78 days of their lives. (sighs) <sighs> it just, it gets so bad. It continues to get bad. Uh, the Romanovs were kept in strict isolation at this house. Uh, so the residence was cut off from the street by two tall fences. Uh, the windows were all sealed shut and like covered with newspaper. Uh, and machine gun nests were trained at the house at all times. They were taking this house arrest very seriously. So in, in, in the film, Anastasia, the historically accurate 100% film, um yes they didn't really get into this part uh it was more just they took her family away and she she yeah it wasn't like they were having a big party and then just like the bolsheviks show up and ruin everybody's day yeah it's been a while god this sucks so hard (laughs) it's gonna continue to suck i'm sorry uh the family was permitted recreation uh in the garden but just only twice a day in any other time of day, if they needed to go to the bathroom, they had to ring a bell and like be escorted from room to room. They were not allowed visitors, letters, or newspapers. 
they did adapt the best they could, considering the circumstances. So Maria and Anastasia, in particular, they befriended some of the guards. Um, in a very YA novel turn of events, Maria actually became romantically involved with one. She was about 19 at the time, or she turned 19 at the house. Um, and he smuggled her in a birthday cake on her birthday. <laughs> yeah, someone's written a bodice ripper about this. Don't worry. Certainly. Uh, so they did start to conspire about ways to help the family escape, but his superiors kind of caught on that this was happening. Uh, he was removed from duty and security was tightened. That checks out, yes. So that did not go anywhere. Um, so all the while, the Bolsheviks are kind of dithering on what exactly they're supposed to do with the Romanovs. So there were some early attempts to arrange for asylum in Britain, which ultimately went nowhere. Again, like you have to remember, this is mid World War One, so everybody's got their own shit to deal with and cannot be taking in stray royal families. Technically, by extension, related to the royal family of Britain. Yeah, they're all cousins, which is kind of why I think they flitted this idea. But I think George V kind of nixed it. It's kind of a dill hole, wasn't he? Political reasons. Yeah, I mean they all were. So it seemed increasingly likely during this time that Nicholas would eventually have to be executed because, you know, he's the czar and that's just kind of the thing. But even the Bolsheviks knew that, like, murdering the entire family would be a bad luck. You can't just really murder just a, bunch of a bunch of children. Beautiful princesses. Yeah. I think the, I think all the grand duchesses were in their 20s at the time. But um, Alex, Alexi was probably like 12 or 13. So, yeah, there are actual children involved. I thought Anastasia was like 15. Nope, she would have been, uh, she would have been probably 17, 18. Oh, weird. I'm not okay. exactly sure what year she was born, but if Maria was 19 and she was slightly younger than Maria, so. Um, what did force their hand, eventually, was the advancement of the White Guard in on Ekaterinburg in July of 1918. Uh, she was uh, 17. Thank you. She was born in 1901. Um, so the month before, a civil war had broken up between the Bolsheviks, the Reds, and the White Guard, which is a movement not only still loyal to the Tsar, but virulently, virulently anti-communist to boot. The Bolsheviks, they couldn't afford to let them get the family. Like, if they let them get into the house and help the family escape, it would be over for them, essentially. Ultimately, ultimately the decision was made that if it came down to it, uh, the family was to be executed before an escape attempt could be made. Um, it's Very cool. Probable to likely that this final order actually cl- came from Lenin himself, but there's actually no paper trail to confirm this, so that's kind of just everybody's best guess. Probably likely, like, just in the fact that a decision that big would probably need to be made by, you know, it's got to go all the way to the top. I mean, Lenin was probably using a personal email to send those orders, <laughs> so how are we ever going to know? How would we ever know? They deleted those servers. Yeah. So late in the evening of July 16th, 1918, the family, along with four of their servants, uh, was roused from their sleep on the pretense that uh, they needed to take a photo, a a nice family photo, uh, to disprove rumors that they had somehow managed to escape. Yep, that's very believable. Hold this newspaper. They were arranged in two rows in a room in the cellar. Alexi, uh, who's then about, like I said, 12 or 13, he was too sick to stand, so he had to, like, sit in a chair. Uh, it was only when they were assembled there that the death sentence was read aloud by a man uh, named Commandant Yakov Yurovsky, uh, who had been charged with organizing the execution. He sounds like a guy who would shoot a bunch of princesses. Generally, yeah. Before anyone could react, an armed firing squad burst into the room and began shooting. And this is where things get really... Really grim. (laughs) So this is your warning to skip like 30 seconds if you don't want to hear the details. 
but Nicholas was killed instantly. Uh, the rest of the family, not as fortunate. So the death squad was pretty inexperienced um, and may have, some of them may have been drunk because I don't know, it's Russia during World War I. Uh. So they fired shot after shot at Alexandra and her children, only to have those bullets ricochet back at them. Anticipating that they one day may escape, the family had sewn jewels and money into their underclothes to ensure that they would be able to pay their way to safety. So this basically, it was like a they all had bulletproof vests on, <laughs> more or less, <laughs> made of gold and jewels. Panicked, and with most of the family screaming and bleeding on the floor, the death squad began to stab Alexandra and the children to death with bayonets before their cries could be heard from the street. Aim for the heads, you fucking idiots. <laughs> What the, violence a lasted, <laughs> the violence lasted an agonizing 20 minutes, and by the time it was over, one of the killers recalled the cellar floor was so slippery it was like the surface of an ice rink. I just, it's very easy to kill a 12-year-old hemophiliac who can't even stand. Like, how do you fuck that up? You would think. It was, yeah. The disposal was literally just as botched as badly as the execution itself. This, like, just continues to be a fucking shit show all the way all the way it's to the end. almost like they shouldn't have done it. <laughs> so the bodies of the Romanovs were piled into a truck. The truck broke down en route to the disposal site they had planned, you know, where they were going to take them and hide them. Uh, and it was only when the truck broke down that the crew realized they only had one shovel. Oh, my God. <laughs> so they dumped the remains down a mine, cra- mine shaft, uh, only to realize after they had looted the bodies and doused them in sulfuric acid that actually the mine wasn't that deep and probably wouldn't properly hide the remains. So they pulled the bodies back out, planning to rebury them in a deeper, more secure mine. <laughs> they started on the way towards that mine and then they got stuck in the mud. And this would all be deeply hilarious if it wasn't so fucking tragic. <laughs> like if we weren't talking about dead children and young women, like, yeah. Uh, over it, completely over it, the men disfigured the bodies with the butts of their rifles and just dumped them in a mass grave, and that was it for the evening. They did, The Bolsheviks did announce that Nicholas had been executed, um, but their initial statements implied that Alexandra and the children had been moved again to some undisclosed location. Which they should have been. I don't understand why everyone else had to die. Like, whose fucking idea was that? What are they going to do? Lenin's, apparently. Oh. <laughs> So rumors, I mean, by this time, there's already rumors starting to swirl that this was not the case. Um, And possibly because, you know, after killing the imperial family, the Bolsheviks went on to kill just about every surviving Romanov family member that they could find. Uh, And many of them, too, were disposed of in mass graves or burned beyond recognition. I didn't know about that. Yeah, it it got kind of rough. It was very French Revolution there for a while. It's just there's no point in it. Like, it's. It's stupid. Yeah, it's... Killing is not the way to go. (laughs) No. Especially in the 20th century. Despite the rumors, without, you know, actual bodies, there was no way to be certain of the fate of the former imperial family. Throughout the years, there were several imposters who claimed to be surviving Romanovs, uh, the most famous of which, of course, is Anna Anderson. Uh, She is almost single-handedly responsible for the whole Anastasia myth. We got good stuff out of it. I'm not bad. I mean, it's a great story. And... Good for her for thinking, I don't know if she thought it up necessarily, but... She thought outside the box. So Anna Anderson, she was a young woman. She had been institutionalized in a Berlin hospital after jumping off a bridge. 
while recovering, this is like early 1920s. Um, mm-hmm. So while recovering, she refused to identify herself. Uh, the only clues to her identity were some scars that she had. And um, she had an accent the staff thought was maybe Russian. That was it. Maybe. So it was actually another psychiatric patient there in the hospital who's named Clara Puthert. Uh, she first made the claim that Anna was a surviving Grand Duchess. She first identified her as Tatiana um, and then as Anastasia. And at some point... Anna Anderson adopted the name Anna Tchaikovsky. Um, She would eventually be visited while she was there. She stayed in this hospital for 10, 15 years. I don't know. Um, She would eventually be visited by Anastasia's tutor and even Nicholas's sister, Olga. Not the Grand Duchess Olga. Another Grand Duchess Olga. (laughs) How did she get out of being murdered? Yeah, she got out. I don't know. Maybe she saw the writing on the wall and booked it. It's not like (laughs) once you're out of Russia, there's really nothing. Yeah. They're not going to chase you down. It's not that important. Yeah, the tutor, Olga, they both visited her. Neither was convinced that she was Anastasia. But there were plenty of people who were. Uh, And her story continued to persist even until after her death in 1984. It was actually only a DNA DNA analysis in 1994 that proved she was not Anastasia, but a Polish woman named Franciska Szwankowska, which I definitely pronounced wrong. There you go. I mean, you'd think that people who actually knew the royal family (laughs) being like, that ain't her, would, would do it. Yeah, but people love a good story. I mean, that's kind of the whole thing. People want to believe that one of the princesses made it out. Like, considering how much of a bummer the true story is, like, I honestly cannot blame anyone. That's true. So it would be nearly a century before the fate of the Romanovs was finally confirmed for real. Um, And the intense secrecy of the Soviet Union would surely make sure of that. Uh, So remains were actually discovered as early as 1979. We didn't know what we were doing back then, though. <laughs> yeah. A Russian geologi- geologist geologist named Alexander Avdovin. Uh, Still he only heard have rumors- three names. Yeah. <laughs> he heard rumors of a possible Romanov grave site and started kind of poking around the area. Um, he brought in the son of Yurovsky, who was the Bolshevik commandant who carried out the death sentence. The guy who can't plan worth a shit. <laughs> Yeah, him. Uh, so with that guy's help, um, he discovered the grave just outside the city of Ekaterinburg. Ekaterinburg. I keep adding extra syllables to that. But some of the bones were exhumed, but fearing backlash from the Soviet government, as you would, uh, they kind of just reburied them and didn't say anything. So it was only in 1991, after the Soviet Union had collapsed, that the Russian state finally launched an official investigation and exhumed the remains from the gravesite of Donin had identified in the 70s. So was the thought in Russia up until that point, like, the rest of the royal family was alive, like they were kind of just denying that they killed them? Or they just, everyone knew, but they didn't talk about it? I feel like it was the latter. Because I don't know why they would be upset. Like, we found these bones of these people that you definitely killed, but, like... Well, because the Bolsheviks led directly to the Soviet Union. The Bolsheviks, like, they formed the country that would become the Soviet Union. And I don't think... It would be like saying, hey, do you know Thomas Jefferson raped a bunch of his slaves? All right. It's that kind of thing. Got it. Yeah. (laughs) They're the founding fathers. They didn't want to admit that they were doing anything wrong. So DNA results confirmed the bodies were the Romanovs uh, with one wrinkle. Alexei and Maria were missing, refueling rumors Ooh. that one or both of them may have managed to survive the execution. Um, I don't think so. Then in 2007, <laughs> a second gravesite was discovered. I'm not going to leave you in suspense. Uh, two more bodies were exhumed. DNA would eventually confirm the remains as Alexei and Maria. It's likely they were buried separately 
in what was admittedly a successful attempt to cause confusion. I think after the whole shit show of trying to bury them the first time, they eventually like went back and reburied them again somewhere else. That's some just Ted Bundy shit. Like, <laughs> leave them alone. Plan it right the first. Like, if you're gonna do a big royal murder, <laughs> a little bit of plan, a little bit of pre-planning. Buy an extra shovel. Like, don't drink beforehand. Ha- maybe have the mass grave dug ahead of time. I don't know. Or poison them. <sighs> well, I mean, we saw how well that worked with Rasputin. I mean, he was a special case, and they were also very dumb. <laughs> this is true. It's mostly the latter part. <laughs> so this isn't quite the end of the story. Um, so while the remains of Nicholas, Alexandra, Olga, Tatiana, and Anastasia were interred in St. Petersburg Cathedral in 1999, uh, the Russian Orthodox Church has refused to give them full burial rites. They even, they were supposed to do like a whole funeral in 2016, and they blocked plans for that. Um, Why? And they... This is the question. Uh, they also still refuse to recognize the remains of Alexei and Maria at all, despite recent DNA confirmation of their identity, like reconfirmation even. Like they knew this in 2007. In 2018, they confirmed again, like we did extra test. We're double extra, totally sure that this is Alexei and Maria, but nothing. Well, I mean, I just don't understand where they're dragging their feet. Like they didn't, yeah. they didn't do anything. They were, they did so, not do anything. <laughs> the church claims that they need to be extra sure of the validity of the remains. So the Romanov family was actually canonized in the year 2000. So any remains remaining okay. would be considered holy relics. So why they're still, still like fairly conclusive, several fairly conclusive DNA tests have pulled this out. Um, but no one, that's the thing. It's like, I, I looked into this. I got like pulled into a rabbit hole. <laughs> Tuesday night when I was trying to finish this episode, but no one really can figure out what exactly it is. Like the best explanation I could find was that the church would probably prefer just prefer not to make a decision at all uh, because, you know, declaring either way will almost certainly piss off somebody. So like there's a faction. It sounds like a bishop doesn't want to do the paperwork. That's what it said. Or like he mailed it and it never made it there and they don't want to admit that something went wrong. I would agree with you, except they're doing extra paperwork at this point. So they continue uh, yeah. to stall. In in 2017, they successfully argued for reopening the investigation into oh, the sweet murders. Christ. On the ground that they may have been, quote, ritual killings, which is really just a Russian style dog whistle for the Jews did it. <laughs> So, historically in Russia, ritual killing is just kind of an obtuse way of referring to blood libel, which, if you're not familiar with what blood libel is, it is a centuries-old and deeply anti-Semitic conspiracy that Jewish people kill Christian children for ritual purposes. We talked about it in uh, the Satanic Panic episode. Yeah, it's really a lot. (laughs) There are so many conspiracy theories that can be traced back to good old-fashioned anti-Semitism. Most of them. About, I'd say, 96%. (laughs) So, uh, I guess we'll see how this goes. Um, There's really been no news since 2018. Um, So, on the 100th anniversary of the murders, as I mentioned, the investigators announced again that they had done new DNA tests for the millionth time and that the remains were definitely, absolutely the Romanovs. Was the press release they put out just a piece of paper that said, it's fucking them? Pretty much. (laughs) So, a fun fact to end on, because I didn't want to end on the anti-Semitism. Uh, one of the <laughs> tests, 
that verified the Romanov's remains included comparing the sample of that to verified living relatives, a group that included Queen Elizabeth Queen Elizabeth II's late husband, Prince Philip, uh, who oh. actually is a direct descendant of the Romanov family. History is truly alive, even though Prince Philip is dead. And full of troll people. <laughs> Sorry, he was very scary looking. I'm sure he was a perfectly pleasant man. Uh, probably a little racist, but, you know. He was probably pretty racist, but... Polite? I don't know. <laughs> I I am mostly indifferent to most of the royal family, so. Yeah, I like the the one that's not technically part of the royal family anymore. Henry and Meghan? Yeah. And, Harry. Uh, Han- Henry? Whatever. And, um, uh, oh, she's also not part of the royal family. Uh, Fergie? Fergie? Uh, yeah. Fergie's great. Um, I have something that, that we can end the episode on that will be, um, pleasant for everybody and not oh. anti-Semitic. One thing I do want to do first, because I forgot it at the top, was to cite my sources. Oh, yes, please. Wikipedia, History.com, Biography, The Independent, Smithsonian Mag, Washington Post, and The New York Times. The end. Very good sources. Thank you. Yeah. All right. I'll do my spiel, and then I'll I'll do the thing. Um, uh, We are on, if you know where the real Romanovs are buried, or if you are Anastasia, (laughs) um, we are on Instagram at Afternoonified, Twitter at Afternoonified. Uh, get afternoonified.com where you can email us, uh, look at old episodes, buy some merch. Um, holidays are coming up, so you know, who wouldn't want a tote bag? Christmas presents with Bigfoot Especially on it. Especially the, uh, the Billy Howie Tafters, um, <laughs> merch that Avalon made for us. I need a Billy Howie Tafters tote bag. This is, <laughs> this is gonna be my Christmas present to myself. You can also email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Uh, remember to rate, subscribe, review, and we will see you next time. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening. We love you. Bye. What was your thing? Anastasia, sir, just wishing I could do the job for you, sir. I'd give her a ha, then a hi-ya, and then a woo and I'd kick her, sir. <laughs> oh, my God. He's the most Midwestern mom I've ever heard. So below listeners, it's your boy Shane Hosey, and I want to tell you a little bit about my podcast, The Hosey Hustle. Every other week I sit down with a guest and we talk about product and service submissions from you, the listener. Terrible ideas, like cigarettes for dogs. And we'll sit there and we'll talk about how to make them ready for the big scary economy. Basically, we take bad ideas and we make them worse. So why don't you give us a listen? The Hosey Hustle, part of So Below Media. Now get back to the show you were originally listening to. You probably like it a lot. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is As Above, So Below.